0: This is a reading from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When Pentecost Day arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a, sound like, suddenly a sound from heaven, like the howling of a fierce wind, filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. They were pious Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. When they heard the sound, a crowd gathered. They were mystified because everyone heard them speaking in their native languages. They were surprised and amazed, saying, look, aren't all the people who are speaking Galileans, every one of them? How then can each of us hear them speaking in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, as well as residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia, Pomphylia. Egypt and the regions of Libya bordering Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the mighty works of God in our own languages. They were all surprised and bewildered. Some, Some asked each other, what does this mean? Others jeered at them saying, they're full of new wine. Peter stood with the other 11 apostles. He raised his voice and declared, Judeans and everyone living in Jerusalem, know this, listen carefully to my words. These people aren't drunk as you suspect, after all. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Rather, this is what was spoken by Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on your sons and daughters, will prophesy. Your young will see visions, your elders will dream dreams. Even upon my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will cause wonders to occur in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be changed into darkness, and the moon will be changed into blood before the great and spectacular day of the Lord comes, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: If you're expecting donuts to go along with my sermon, unfortunately, I know I'm the youth pastor, but you'll be sorely disappointed. Uh, Everything's better with donuts, though. So, no, um, I'm really excited to be here. So before we begin, let's pray. God, as we breathe in and out, we breathe in and out your Holy Spirit. We know that you're present with us, around us, in us, and through us. We know that as we leave these doors and as we go out into your world, that you'll be there as well. Remind us of who we are. Remind us of why we are. And God, as we read your word and as we, as we get ready to hear your voice, Lord, we ask that you open our eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to know you more. Amen. Now, if you've met my wife EJ then you may know that she has many, many tattoos. I tell people all the time she's way cooler than I am. I only have two, she's got about six or seven, so she outdoes me by three at least. And uh, the thing about EJ's tattoos, she has one in particular that always draws people's attention because it's some script on her left arm. And it's a script from a Shakespeare play, and this script says, though she be but little, she is fierce. Which again, if you know EJ, you know, She is little, and she is rather fierce, and I can tell you that from experience of having been married to her for almost four years now. But that's not exactly what I want to talk about when I talk about little and fierceness. In fact, I don't even want to talk about the little fierce ones. I want to talk about the young fierce ones. I have the pleasure and have had the pleasure for over 10 years of working with teenagers and when I see EJ's tattoo, especially in places like this and in and around teenagers, I want to change that language a little bit. I want to change a word in there, which I know sounds like blasphemy because I'm changing Shakespeare. But it's only one little word and I'd like to say, though they be but little, or though they be but young, they are fierce. Though they be but young they are fierce. And that is one thing that I've learned about teenagers in my years of working with them holds true and even though they might not know that and see that quite yet. Uh, there's this uh, Prince, uh, Princeton professor, her name is Kenda Creasy Dean and Kenda Creasy Dean is over the Youth Ministry Department at Princeton. I've read a lot of her books, have had the pleasure of, of seeing her speak as well as being taught by her in adjunct classes down in Memphis. And Kenda wrote a book called Practicing Passion. And Practicing Passion is a book about teenagers, which is why I read it. And in her book, Practicing Passion, Kenda says this. The passion of Christ is good news to adolescents. Not because Jesus suffers, but because Jesus loves them with such wild, passionate hope that even death on a cross cannot stop his determination to win them adolescents do not want to suffer, but they do desperately want to love something worth of suffering and to be so loved. The Christian story, she continues, both authenticates adolescent passion and turns it inside out, redeeming, redirecting, and redefining love, and redefining it with a more profound passion still, and that is the suffering love of Jesus Christ. As a result, Youthful Passion serves the church both as a sign of the Imago Dei, the image of God, and as an energy source of enormous potential. By acknowledging the passion of Christ, adolescent passions give way to faith, and fueled by the energy of fierce love, this faith inevitably leads to ministry. Did you catch that very last sentence? By acknowledging the passion of Christ, by turning their lives towards Christ, orienting their lives towards Jesus, adolescent passions give way to faith, fueled by an energy of fierce love. And this faith inevitably leads to ministry. Though they be but young, they are fierce. Though they be but young, they are fierce. And this is a very long way of saying what I would really want to say this morning And what I believe our text tells us today, it is that these teenagers among you are more than the future of the church. It's a really nice thing to say, and it's true, yes, but they are more than that. They are more than a program in which they participate in the youth arena at Wilderness Trail or on a mission trip. These teenagers among you today are the church here and now, and they have a place at the table. We even told them so a couple of weeks ago to the young ones at Confirmation. They have a place. They have a seat. You see, they live with a sense of possibility and hope because they are seeking the very deepest sense of possibilities and hope, and it's that seeking of those things that gives them something to say, and they have a reason to say it, and then they have energy and gifts to bring to the table in which we invite them to. So with that in mind today, we celebrate the day of Holy Pentecost. We celebrate the act of the Holy Spirit's violent upheaval of our ancient church as it rushed in, blew open the doors, and set things on fire. We celebrate that today. It's the day that we're told amazed and astonished those in the very presence of that act. And Jesus himself chose a ragtag group of young people, teenagers and young adults alike, And he breathed that Holy Spirit into their lives to go out and make a mess of a world that was filled with oppression, violence, greed, depression, and hopelessness. It was a world controlled by an empire that sought its own propagation at any cost, even if it meant death on a cross. They were sent into that very world, just like we send kids out into a world today after graduation. They're sent, but they were not sent alone just like we don't send them alone today. No, they had each other, and they had those who were willing to go with them, even the older ones who had been there before and, for, and been there for a while, even the ones who say, that's not the way we've always done it. That same Holy Spirit that rushed in then, declaring with awe and wonder, let them lead, does the very same thing today. That Holy Spirit is among us, pushing us, challenging us, enticing us, to let them lead. Which is why I cut myself short this morning and invite my friend Carson Marshall up here to speak from his heart.
2: Good morning everyone. So a few weeks ago I texted Andrew and I had I've been working on this story and experiences and just parts of the Bible and I just felt like it was time to finally come out and talk about it and he He led me on. I don't know why. I'm very bad at this. So when we take a look at the story of Jesus going to the cross, there's this one character that seems to interrupt. His name is Barabbas. We don't know much about this character except he's a murderer, a leader of an insurrection, and a rebel. And sometimes I'm just wondering, why is he even mentioned? I thought it was about Jesus going to the cross, but it's a lot more than that. It's a love story. So you can imagine in this moment Pilate's thinking, I hold the destiny of these two men in my hands, and I know the Jews have a tradition that on a holy day, I will release one of the prisoners on death row. And I can imagine Pilate standing on this audacious stage stage, presenting Jesus, the son of God, versus Barabbas, a thug and rebel. And he says, all right, who do you want? I mean, this has gone too far. There's absolutely no comparison. This is a rightful prisoner, a man who should be on death row. He is a rebel against wrong, and he's a bad man, a thug, and a crook. He deserves the chains, he deserves the crucifixions. But Jesus, what has he done? What has he done but heal, restore, deliver, set free, open blind eyes, open deaf ears, heal the lame and the leper? What has Jesus done? And Pilate stands there and he says, Who do you want? And the crowd yells, we want Barabbas. Yeah, give us Barabbas. After that, you visualize the soldiers. They're coming up and they're taking his chains off, unlocking Barabbas from those chains and shackles. And he walks down that platform, after which he's welcomed by all of his new thug friends. And he's, yeah, the people love me. The people love me. I don't even know who this Jesus guy is, but all I know is the people love me. There is no record or even a hint of gratitude or attempt of him turning to Jesus and saying, I owe you everything now, for you have set me free. No, there's nothing. You don't see any of that in Barabbas. And I can imagine that whole time Jesus stood there silent, for he knew the will of his father. He may have thought this moment, it's fine, father. It's fine. Let them have Barabbas. But see, for Jesus knew that the father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas. So he, could tre- or he would have to treat... Jesus liked Barabbas, so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. You see, Barabbas thought it was the people that set him free. No, 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 no. It was the love of God in Christ. And when I look at the story, I really realize who Barabbas is. I'm Barabbas. You are Barabbas. We are Barabbas. And when I read this, I feel God speak to me. And he goes, I love Barabbas, man. I I love him. And I wrestled I'm thinking, like, but God, he's a bad man. God guy goes, I love Barabbas, and I wanted him to go free. And I couldn't help but ask. I was like, didn't you know that he probably would have never acknowledged the free gift that you gave him? And I felt God speak to me. He goes, yeah, but I love Barabbas. And then I remembered, for our faith, while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his only son for Barabbas, even the one he knew would walk away from Jesus, who took his place in the time of trial because God loves him, even loves him. When I look at the story of Barabbas, I think about the audacity of us as followers of Christ. We have to think that we can work out of our own salvation. We sometimes think we can use our own goodness, our own discipline, and our own devotion to save ourselves. Yet there's only one that can save us, and it's the Christ. It's the one that took our place on that uh, platform. The one that stood on that platform with Pilate, and with his silence, he said, Yes, let them have Barabbas and take me. And how many times have I felt like I've stood on that platform with Pilate and Jesus, and I'm the Brabus, and they start to take my chains and shackles off, and I say, no, I deserve this. I deserve the guilt. I deserve the shame. I deserve the consequence. I deserve it. And Jesus seems to look at me, and he says, no, child, let me have it. Let me have your mess. Let me have your pain. And I say, no, no, God, I did it to myself. I deserve it. I deserve it all. And God says, give it to me give everything. I'll still be here even if you do it again. I love you. This is all I have and this is all you have. This is all we have. We can play our games and we can pretend like everything is all right and we've got this under control or we can all come to the honest conclusion that it is God and it is God alone. See, our greatest challenge is not that our discipline or our devotion or our focus our greatest challenge is believing and living the good news of Jesus out in the world and always remembering that there really is a God with a love so scandalous so wide so deep so vast so high so expansive and so welcoming and so inclusive that that very God has the audacity to invite us into that story and through Christ God calls us let me have your burdens my child and so I give him my sin, and now I'm standing in this empty space of forgiveness and acceptance while Jesus walks to the cross that I deserve, and I see him. And I see him walking to that tree that we call a cross, As I stand a free child, and I feel the love of God saying, go my child, live your life. I've paid that price. And where do we get off to thinking that we're going to set ourselves free? It's still Jesus. It'll always be Jesus. It'll never stop being Jesus. Christ is sufficient for your salvation. He is sufficient to sustain you through every hardship and every challenge and every temptation. Jesus is enough. Amen.